Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Comic Book Herald Live. I'm Dave Music, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Today, we're going to be talking about comics that came out today. Today is September 14, 2022. It is a Wednesday. It is a new comic book day. Get ready to talk about them. There will be some spoilers that follow, in particular, as we talk about X-Men Red number 6 and Judgment Day number 4, big happenings in the Marvel Universe Summerwide event, and of course the world of X-Men. Spoilers will follow. If you have not read those issues, I recommend you do so. Uh, one, because they're really good. Two, because we're going to spoil the heck out of them. If you're like, I don't care, man, don't tell me what to do. Great. Thanks for joining. Glad to have you here, despite your confrontational attitude. No, it's great. Get in your thoughts, get in your confrontational attitudes in the comments here as we go. I definitely want to address uh, as many of them as I can. The big question today that I wanna that I wanna ask you all that I need some I need some thoughts on. I need some advice on. I'm writing a thing about it. Where do you think Judgment Day is going? Okay, where is Judgment Day going from here? What's it gonna mean for the Marvel Universe? It's a tried and true staple of comic book events that it will change everything, right? And of course, there's various degrees of validity to that depending on the event. For Judgment Day, there will definitely be outcomes that will matter for the Eternals, that will matter for the X-Men, at least in the short term. Um, the Avengers, I'm not so clear. I'm not so clear on what that might be. So I've got some ideas of my own. I'm definitely going to talk about them, but definitely get in thoughts of your own in the comments, and I will address those, and uh, and maybe we can bounce around some theories and ideas and see what we come up with, right? Okay, but otherwise, we're going to focus in and talk about X-Men Red number six, and then Judgment Day number four. Obviously, there's some major stuff to focus on here. Uh, we did also have, let's see, what else came out today? Um, X-Men, I guess just real quick off the top, we had the fifth and final issue of House of X uh, animated series edition, right? The X-Men 92 comic. I had a blast with, with this House of X. I know we talked about it previously on streams. Um, this is very fun. If you like both House of X, Powers of Ten, and the X-Men animated series from the 90s, kind of a perfect five-issue interpretation of that. Honestly, I liked kind of some stuff that happened in this fifth issue. I guess we can talk about it. We get, I guess I could spoil it, right? Okay, I'm going to spoil it. I'm going to talk about it as if you've read it. If you haven't, you don't want to know anything about the animated series uh, tiny event written by Steve Fox, then um, skip ahead two minutes or whatever. Can't do that because it's a live stream, but, you know, try. Um, so, all right, so at the very end of this, the big twist in the, the animated version is Steve Fox and team, they're only using, like, X-Men animated characters primarily, you know? So the big twist in this is, okay, who's our POV character in the X-Men animated series, um, it's it's Jubilee, right? So the twist is the person in the Moira role, the person who is hidden in the no place, who has the secrets and has lived the lifelines, her mutant ability, that's actually Jubilee, okay? Um, so Jubilee is the character who takes on the Moira role in the animated universe, which I think is a stroke of genius when you're, again, trying to, trying to convey the tone and the feel of the X-Men animated universe. The fifth issue ends with Nimrod attacking Krakoa, and long story short, I'm, I'm way, way not doing this credit by summarizing it so quickly, but Gene uh, has to give over the power of the Dark Phoenix, or the Phoenix rather, to Jubilee to use and destroy Nimrod. And in doing so, it burns out her mutant abilities uh, to the point that she can't then reset the timeline anymore. That's a better ending <laughs> than what is happening with Moira currently. Like, listen, could we still do some version of that? And is the Phoenix going to come into play? Of course, eventually. Yes, it will. Um, that, I like this version better. <laughs> it's a better ending than what is actually happening with Moira, which we did also see today, if you read Amazing Spider-Man number nine. This was the months later... Uh, uh, fallout <laughs> from the Hellfire Gala. This is the Spider-Man issue tie-in of Wolverine and Spider-Man chasing down Moira in Mary Jane's body, okay? Um, very predictable. It was a, a very predictable tie-in. Uh, executed fine. I mean, I like Pat Gleason's art plenty, uh, but like kind of nothing happened. Nothing unexpected happened, you know? Uh, Moira did not kill Mary Jane Watson. Not surprised by that. Uh, nobody caught up with or did anything to Moira. And she ran off to go be in Judgment Day. And Wolverine and Spider-Man ran off to go be in their collective series. I think probably the issue had more fallout for what's happening in Spider-Man. And this kind of like, uh, at this point, a little too dragged out mystery of what did Spider-Man do? And, and what does it mean for his relationship with MJ? And MJ's got a family now. What the heck happened? There's a little bit of development there. 
Um, but on like the X-Men side of things, <laughs> if you've been if you've been waiting with bated breath to learn what's gonna happen when Spider-Man and Wolverine catch up with Moira in MJ's body, nothing <laughs> you would not expect. Uh, it was the most predictable kind of fallout possible, and basically nothing was revealed. So that was kind of a bummer. Um, <clears throat> speaking of bummers, and then we'll get on to the great stuff, because there's two fantastic comics today. Speaking of bummers, uh, the man with the peacock tattoo has been hanging around in this Miss Marvel series of one-shots they've been doing. You know, because during her Disney Plus renaissance, Miss Marvel didn't have an ongoing comic, uh, or even maybe the limited series was wrapping up, but did not have an ongoing comic, which is bananas. Do not understand it. Do not understand it how that's possible. But they did one-shots where she teams up with other apparently more popular and successful characters, um, like Wolverine was the first one, and this one was Venom. We had Moon Knight right before it. Um, heck, come on, is, is Moon Knight more popular than Ms. Marvel? In what world? In what world? I, I don't think that's been the case. Even in, like, peak Moon Knight, early 1980s, Doug Mensch, uh, Bill Sienkiewicz era, Ms. Marvel had not been created in her current incarnation of Kamal Khan. Kamal Khan was still more popular. <laughs> than Moon Knight, okay? Anyway, I digress. The man with the peacock tattoo has been hanging around trying to collect mutant uh, DNA in that Miss Marvel series. If you have been reading that, thinking, oh, maybe something interesting will happen with the man with the peacock tattoo. This Ben Percy creative villain who's who's been very quiet on the X-Force side of things, uh, you would be let down there as well. <laughs> you would be let down there as well. The man with the peacock tattoo's most interesting trait continues to be his body art, um, he is definitely the embodiment of someone whose whole personality is their tattoo. <laughs> That's it. That's his deal. Uh, nothing happens. Nothing developed there as well today. So, okay. Two bummers. Um, uh, two letdowns. I, I, I'm seeing some Moira chatter in the comments. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it. Listen, you can't trap me. I did tweet earlier. I had the thought. I was trying to think of like, okay, what's the sports comparison of someone who flashed with immense talent had such high hopes, and then was just a huge bummer. And that led me to tweet, uh, Moira X is the Ben Simmons of X-Men. I think Ben Simmons is probably our best modern comp for just immense talent, could go anywhere, could do anything, and now they mostly just kind of maybe look interesting on the bench. <laughs> like, that's their role. Um, so, I don't know. If you have a better one, if you have a better comp, I feel like it's out there. I feel like it definitely exists. Uh, <laughs> I'm seeing Kanye pitched. Kanye is different. Kanye is totally, totally different. And here's the reason why. It's it's a shame, but Kanye just, I don't understand it, but he just stopped doing anything after the very good life of Pablo in 2016. It's a shame he stopped releasing music after that point. Storied career. I Listen, you'd be hearing a lot more Kanye reference from me if it was still in any way cool to do so. <laughs> it very clearly is not. But tremendous legacy from 2004, really earlier, right, with Blueprint and stuff like that. 2004 to 2016, Life Pablo, and then you just stop making music, right? It happens. Sometimes people just fade away and you never hear from them again. And sadly, that's what happened with Kanye. Moira's, though, is like, that is a flash in the pan burst of exciting potential, okay? So, so definitely not somebody who has like a legacy, like a long running legacy. Ooh, I'm saying, okay. Open Mike Eagle here in the chat. Thanks for joining Mike. Uh, it says the Brooklyn Nets. That, that actually might tie into my Ben Simmons comp better even than Simmons himself. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets is a good pick. That's like already, I don't know that like the, I guess the Nets still could kind of make some noise, right? Like, don't they, they technically, they still have Kyrie and KD, just everyone's unhappy. Um, that's a good pick, though. That's an interesting pick where you had, um, they got Durant, Kyrie, and Harden are all going to be together. Like, they're the unquestioned number one. And basically, at no point in that team's, you know, run together have they been the unquestioned number one, with the exception of those rare moments when they were all healthy, I guess, prior to injuries really taking them out. And then you have, you know, Katie steps on the line against the Bucks and whatnot. You know, it's all downhill from there. Um, the Brooklyn Nets is a good pick. That's a really good pick. I love that. Let's see, what else do we got? Um, Colin Kaepernick, okay. We'll never know. We'll never know because the NFL clearly colluded against keeping him in the league, which was some BS. I will say the Colin Kaepernick game against the Packers, the playoff game against the Packers, where he just made it look like, oh, like if you're like kind of fast, you can you can just run all over an NFL. Like he made it look so easy to just do anything you want. I, I will always remember, I, I've so rarely seen a quarterback make 
an opposing team look that pitiful. Um, and as a Bears fan, that was delightful, right? I'm, I'm like a I'm like a side Packers fan. Like when the Bears inevitably fail, which happens annually, um, then I kind of adopt. My dad's a Packers fan, right? So it's like like being a Bears fan is still my punk rock era, right? Like at some point, I'll grow up and be like, no, I agree. I'm with my dad. I'm a Packers fan. But at this point, it's too late. It's too late. Um, let's see. Let's see. Do we got any other picks here? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> I'm, seeing, I'm seeing celestial comparisons to 808 and heartbreaks. All right, we got we got to talk about the comics because things are getting confusing. Now even I'm confused <laughs> about all the overlap here between comics and sports. Um, all right, let's talk about this. Let's talk about X-Men Red. Thank you for the great picks there, everybody. Kwame Brown. Kwame Brown can't be... That, see, like, yes, like a draft, like a classic famous draft bust, right, is, is definitely where the head goes. My first thought was Jay Williams, you know, a little more tragic scenario for the Chicago Bulls. We drafted Jay Williams. Oh, that's exciting uh, in the post-Jordan era. And then, you know, he had the motorcycle accident and he, you know, he couldn't play. Um, I feel like Kwame, I feel like even, even Kwame never delivered, you know, like Moira did deliver for a minute. For one hot House of X number two, we knew what we had in Moira, right? If Kwame had had like a 60-point game, I feel like maybe that's more in the conversation. Um, keep them coming. Keep them coming. We'll talk about we'll talk about what's going on, and we can keep talking about those as well. All right, we're going to start with X-Men round number six. And again, the question for today is, where do you think Judgment Day is going? Help me write my article. <laughs> okay. X-Men round number six, writer Al Ewing, artist Stefano Caselli, colors by Federico Blee, letters by Ariana Maher. It's a big one. It's a big one. We've been waiting for the hour of Magneto as teased as teased at the end of X-Men Red number five. Um, okay, we got a lot of developments here. This is all post-fallout of Uranus unleashing his one hour of devastation on the planet Araco. We've seen a lot of Araki civilians die. Uh, we see, like, a majority of the Great Ring seemingly died. Magneto, it looked like maybe he died, but then we learned in X-Men Red number five um, that actually know just he had his heart punched out, <laughs> which when you're Magneto doesn't mean death because his the master of magnetism can keep the iron in his blood pumping. Does that scientifically, medically make any sense? I don't care. <laughs> I don't care even a little bit. It works and it's super, super fun. Okay, so Magneto's doing that. He's still battling. Uranus leaves all his, his uh, not all of them, but like part of his arsenal, like part of his weapons of war are still wreaking devastation on the planet. Okay, first thought on X-Men Red number six, just a knockout issue. Just absolute masterclass of, of a comic book. Um, Al Ewing's X-Men Red is absolutely killing it. The fact that he's killing it this hard in the middle of like a tie-in as well is frankly unprecedented. <laughs> like, I don't, I, I didn't run back and look at this, but I mean, good golly, like the chances of a writer's run keeping up the pace accelerating the pace, doing new big things through an event. They're not even writing. People don't do that. <laughs> like, comics creators do not do that. You know, we don't look back at, like, Fraction and Aha Hawkeye and be like, oh, yeah, number eight, the classic uh, Axis tie-in. You know, like, that stuff doesn't happen. Um, and yet, and yet, Al Ewing's here doing it again with X-Men Red number six. Okay, so it's just a remarkable issue. Some of the big stuff that happens here. Okay, uh, one thing that is that is definitely smaller, seemingly smaller in the issue, but feels kind of big in the big picture is, so Abigail Brand dies in Uranus' attack on the, on the Great Ring. Um, she needs to resurrect. This is kind of a big deal, okay? This is a kind of a big deal because Abigail Brand is the schemer among schemers in the Marvel Universe, right? Like, she is currently working with the X-Men and Krakoa. She has kind of her own mission going with S.W.O.R.D., and she's uh, part of Orcus, right? She is playing all sides. Like, she is a triple agent. And then some, the fact that she has to go through Resurrection, first off, it confirms she can be resurrected, because I think she's, like, half-mutant. I don't think that was really in doubt, but, you know, you could have questioned it. And then, um, you know, Professor X has her mind in his mind. He has her backup, Right? I don't have a good sense, and this is something I've been thinking about. We really don't have many Professor X stories in this era, which is kind of wild, right? There has not been a Mike Carey's X-Men legacy that is a look at, like, what's going on with Charlie these days. He's around a ton. He's the figurehead of the mutant nation of Krakoa. There are moments, but there's not really a series digging in to what's going on with Charlie. So when he's 
backing up Abigail Brand, is he looking through her consciousness? Is he still pretending <laughs> that his morality would have him not do such a thing, right? So there's a possibility of some of her secrets getting out there and exposed. Um, it's one of those things where it's like, if he does do that and learn them, I'm actually kind of rooting for him because it would actually be doing some, you know, something kind of smart. Uh, and he's like, you know, let's not pretend here that Charlie isn't setting up X-Force, that Charlie didn't go into Reed Richards' home and wipe his memory of how to create, you know, the mutant damping technology he created for Franklin Richards, right? He is more, like, like Professor X is a jerk. It's the classic, right? He can do these things. He is ethically compromised in all the right ways to pull this off. Does he do it, though? That's the question, okay? So not a major point in this particular issue, but I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, one of the major developments that does happen in X-Men Red is the Midnight Council is confirmed, right? The night seats are confirmed. I had predicted this was going to happen in the event, certainly, and, and the way I had predicted it was I said, okay, it'll be revealed that Max the Fisher King was is one of the night seats, okay? Uh, so that, that piece of things was true, and that's kind of been subtly hinted at. I think throughout this run, you probably, you know, it definitely, it was, it was callable. The rest of it is not callable. <laughs> the rest of it was not predictable. You would really need to be on your Dave Sneak grind to get this stuff. Um, the rest of the night seats, so there's a whole data page, which is super fascinating, about their history, about how they're chosen, about how they sit opposite the Great Ring as kind of a voice of, of reason, but also a voice of, like, that is less corruptible by power. I think in a lot of ways, you know, there's no Omega level mutants in the night seats. So instead of them being like the most powerful among the Iraqo mutants, which is kind of what I thought we were going to get, um, it's not the opposite, but it's like, you know, it's, it's just like, it's not just like your average Joe, but it's people who, you know, their powers don't necessarily exceed Isca the Unbeatens or, or Lacuna or any of these other great ring members, right? So the three people that are on the, the night seats, we have Sizia of the Smoke who we don't know anything about prior to this, Max the Fisher King, right, who has no official name, who's been hanging around a little bit in X-Men Red in this run. And then the real twist is Roberto da Costa, a.k.a. Sunspot, a.k.a. for most of the Krakoa era, a New Mutants goofball. And one thing Al Ewing loves doing is punching through the facade of Roberto and revealing like one of the greatest planners in the Marvel Universe. Um, Ewing done, does, uh, does this a ton following in the wake of Hickman's New Avengers, where Hickman kind of elevates Sam and Bobby to interesting status as kind of leading their own Avengers squad. Ewing takes that and runs with it in his own run on New Avengers and sets up Roberto as kind of the master planner of, you know, Avengers shenanigans. Now, those runs never click for me the way that Ewing's best stuff does. Um, best stuff being books like Ultimates, Immortal Hulk, and now Sword and X-Men Red. Uh, but nonetheless, you can definitely see the continuation of that interpretation of this character in him scheming for a spot on a section of the Great Ring that nobody knew existed. <laughs> like, how Roberto made this happen, I have no idea, but it's super cool. It actually does work with this character's nature of planning and I don't, it's like one of those things where it's like, well, I don't totally know what that means other than there's a contingency in place and there are citizens of Araco occupying these night seats who have plan, plans for what can happen with the planet now that it's been assaulted and attacked by Uranus, right? Interesting, interesting development and a, a fun twist. Um, and I think it lets Ewing continue to do this interesting interpretation of Roberto da Costa, who again, like definitely I think was a little too much in just total goofball mode, uh, particularly throughout the Hickman um, written issues of New Mutants. Okay, so that that all is confirmed. We do in fact have our night seats, uh, which was, you know, not unpredictable, but definitely the people on them was. And then we have this big moment of Storm is, first off, just the coolest. Um, and second off, she is feeling out like, okay, what is happening with everyone? Like, what is, what is going on on Araka? What do we need to do? Through that, we learned that Magneto is, in fact, alive, right? But that he is struggling. That, like, he is, he is really, really having a hard time of it, you know, because he has to keep all the iron in his blood pumping without a heart. He has a hole in his chest. Nonetheless, he is tremendously, tremendously powerful, okay? He is tremendously, tremendously powerful. 
Um, oh, I'm seeing here in the notes that the Fisher King is not named Max, that that is Magneto's name. Yeah, that's right. Uh, maybe just the Fisher King calls Magneto Max, and therefore I started calling him Max the Fisher King in my head. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right, and I don't know why I did that. Um, but yeah, so Storm is seeing what's going on with Magneto. She shows up. She's able to, like, supercharge him with lightning. They basically, like, get it on on the battlefield. Like, like basically, they do it <laughs> through a mutant synergy. Um, it's erotic. It's sexual. It's violent. It's powerful. It's all the above, and it's also drawn quite well by Stefano Caselli with colors by Federico Blee. Um, this issue is just so cool. It's so cool seeing these two of my global mutants connect in this way on planet Rocco. The downside, one of the biggest downsides for sure is, you know, Magneto is struggling, right? And kind of the whole undertone of X-Men Red number six is like, well, how's he going to get out of this? Because what was previously established in X-Men Red is that Magneto cannot or will not go through resurrection anymore. Like, basically, as part of the, the contract of joining the Great Ring, as part of respecting their own cultural norms and kind of what it means to be Arakeen, Magneto and Storm both say, okay, we'll get rid of our cerebral backups. We will not be going through Krakoan resurrection. Um, there's the, the call-out that, well, you could still be resurrected through the, um, through the Scarlet Witch Magic Gardens <laughs> situation. And that one's still in question, I would say, but Magneto's, I think, answer at the time was basically like, that is against my wishes. I do not wish that, um, which, you know, is basically last will and testament stuff. So they can't be resurrected. That's already been established, right? So Magneto getting a hold punch through his chest, kind of a bigger deal than the rest of our Krakoan faves, which sets the stage for Judgment Day number four, which definitely should be read after, right? Which clearly should be read after as was announced, um, and as is ordered on the CBH Judgment Day reading order. So, okay, we're going to get into Judgment Day number four next, uh, and then we'll talk about the fate of Magneto. First, I'm going to take a drink, and I'm going to read this super chat that came in, and we can talk about that. Okay, <clears throat> the super chat reads, and thank you for your support, appreciate it. After a year plus with no Hickman, the X-Books seem to be failing. There's not a main narrative being pushed, zero sentinels, and a lot of the books are boring. Okay. Uh, my thought on that is today's a poor day to make that argument because the X-Men stuff today rules. <laughs> it's really flipping good. X-Men Red is phenomenal. Okay. Truly, truly phenomenal. And then obviously it ties into Judgment Day number four, which is, I mean, yes, it's a Marvel Universe event, but it's written by Karen Gillan, who's writing another phenomenal X-Men book, Immortal X-Men. Um, and it's kind of mutant heavy, right? I mean, really judgment day is an Eternals versus mutants war, you know, and then it, obviously it segues into what it is now. Um, I honestly, I, I, I have a very different stance on this than I think you do, which is the destiny of X, which is the follow-up to the Hickman era of X-Men, I think is pound for pound, the most consistent quality wise era of X-Men since house and powers. Um, I actually did had to put a poll up earlier today on Twitter at Comic Book Herald, and I asked, what do you like more, the Dawn of X or the Destiny of X? It's a tricky one, right? A lot of factors, and obviously the Destiny of X isn't done yet. The votes came in 53% Dawn, 47% Destiny, on about 300 votes or so, okay? So the Dawn won, but not by a ton, not by a ton, you know? And I think what I saw in the comments of that is a lot of people saying similar things that I thought, which is the Dawn of X, it benefited so much from the excitement and the potential of House and Powers, right? It was borderline, and, and absolutely, I'm guilty of this as well. I felt it. I think we all felt like X-Men fans felt it, right? This is not a criticism. Um, but it was very, very difficult to judge those books, like, in a vacuum. Because everything was given, you know, if you're just on the purest, like, most basic scoring terms, if you're writing a Dawn of X book out of 10, it got like four points by virtue of being connected to House of Powers, <laughs> right? Like it got a, everything got a boost. Everything got a massive, massive boost. Do Destiny doesn't have that anymore. That's gone, right? That is what the no Hickman piece of this took away from the puzzle for sure. Um, so these books need to kind of reclaim some of that excitement. They need to come out with fresher ideas 
and Immortal X-Men and X-Men Red in particular have done that in spades. I think Kieran Gillen and Al Ewing have saved the Krakoa era of X-Men with how good their work has been. You know, every, basically every other week, we have dueling aces commanding essential X-Men comic reads. Um, as far as a main narrative being pushed, that that's interesting. I think that's been a problem really for every piece of the puzzle here, like even when Hickman was here. I think Hickman was the guiltiest of this. You know, he, he was very much in write anything mode. We'll have years and years to flesh this out, <laughs> was the implication. And then as a result, you know, the main narrative was was often unclear. Um, I think there is a main narrative. I think it is it is Immortal X-Men primarily, right? I think it's what Gillen is doing with Mr. Sinister and Destiny and their kind of centuries-long war to um, to establish what the future of mutant kind is going to look like. That's the main, like the main narrative, the core book to tell you what it is, is Immortal X-Men number one. And then since that time, we've been bouncing around a lot, but like it's, that's the main narrative. Um, is it as consistent across the line in terms of focusing on that? Absolutely not. No, definitely not. Um, but yeah, I don't know. And then obviously like, as far as the books being boring, you know, tastes are going to fluctuate wildly on that. I actually think the Destiny of X has been top to bottom. Again, like I think the highest consistent level of quality of any of these eras. Um, I would put Immortal X-Men and X-Men Red up there with anything. I would put Sabretooth up there with anything. New Mutants has been very good. X-Men is consistently okay and sometimes good. Um, Marauders hasn't won it for me yet. I, the last issue was my favorite of the bunch. Uh, Legion of X, I don't think is working. Knights of X, I could take or leave, right? So you're going to get hits and misses depending on your tastes. Uh, but I think the the top of this, you know, I always look at like, Okay, do we have a starting five, right? Does the X-Men, like, if we're going to have all these books coming out, do we have a starting five? And I think the Destiny of X pretty clearly does. Like, it really does. We have Immortal X-Men, X-Men Red, uh, whatever Victor Laval wants to write. So Sabretooth, it's going to be Sabretooth and the Exiles, New Mutants, and I guess we could put X-Men in there as our five, right? So we're, so we're, a, little, we're a little weak at the shooting guard, right? Classic Bulls problem, like, we don't really have a shooting guard. <laughs> Classic D. Rosera Bulls problem. Uh, we got Keith Bogans at the two. Okay. But otherwise, you know, there's there's some good X-Men comics coming out. So no, I, I guess I don't really agree with sentiment, but I, you know, I I appreciate that you're putting it out there. Um, I think this is, I that would, that is definitely something that you've, if you said that a year ago and you were like, this is probably what people will be saying, you know, you would have found a lot of agreement. Um, I think as the one, the piece of it that I probably connect with the most is the idea that, like, the main narrative is unclear, you know? Um, because th that piece of it can be tough. That that piece of it, I think, could be sold a little more clearly. Okay, so let's see. Um, yeah, keep getting questions. Keep getting comments like that. It's good stuff. All right, so let's talk about Judgment Day number four. We've got writer Kieran Gillen, art by Valerio Shidi, Marty Gracia, Clayton Cowles on letters. Um, all right, big stuff that happened here in Judgment Day number four. Uh, number one, the Eternals brought the X-Men into a Unimind. So Druid brings the Unimind to attack Krakoa again. He's like, all right, we can we can defeat them this time. Like, they're weak. Um, they're going to struggle. Okay, let's bring the X-Men, uh, or rather, let's bring the Unimind back. Incredible visuals on this version of the Unimind by Shidi and Gar uh, Gracia, by the way. The Eternals that, like, our, our beloved Eternals, the characters that we know who are not working with Druig, they're working against the Eternals, they sabotage this. They bring the X-Men into the Unimind, and as a result, the votes go towards Eros as the new Prime Eternal. So they, like, sabotage this plan with the Unimind, and they decide to vote in Star Fox, recently resurrected and freed from the exclusion, uh, Eros, a.k.a. Star Fox, as Prime Eternal, a.k.a., by the way, Brother of Thanos, Okay which you feel like would be, a, I feel like that would be a knock against him. I feel like his recent, his most recent arc in the Donny Cates Guardians of the Galaxy where he like burned off half his face and was acting real weird <laughs> should work against him. But whatever, they don't know about that stuff. Okay, so all of this kicks Druig out of power, which makes him desperate enough as they're doing this to finally release Uranus on Earth. Uh, Uranus being the sort of grandfather of Thanos, um, the one who annihilated vast majority of Morocco and punched out Magneto's heart. Okay. Um, so that happens. It's, it's been a long time coming. We knew something 
was going to make Druig desperate enough to release Uranus another time. Uh, apparently, it was voting in um, Ziggy Stardust era David Bowie as Prime Eternal. Bowie! 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 Right? He's Prime Eternal now. Okay? So, Uranus is loose. He's pulling out his war machines. Uh, that is creating hell on Earth. Again, all of this is occurring with the backdrop of a baby celestial created by Eternals, Tony Stark, and Mr. Sinister judging all of humanity and primarily not judging them well. We do get a ton more uh, individual glimpses into the celestial judging process, including uh, a fantastic judgment of Victor Von Doom, um, where the celestial says, all you have to do is say Reed Richards is smarter than you, Von Doom laughs in his face, walks away, and passes himself. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect Victor Von Doom interpretation. I loved it. Uh, the, the general trend does continue to be, if you're cool as hell and act tough to the Celestial, you will pass. If you have doubts and could be perceived as a wimp, <laughs> you will not pass. Okay? That is the general trend. And I'm increasingly thinking... There is some sinister meaning in this. I am increasingly thinking that those who have passed tell us a little about the Celestial's worldview and that that worldview feels increasingly in line with a certain sinister someone. Okay? I wonder what, what you all think about that. But that is definitely... And it's about like Cyclops passed easily. Nobody loves a Scott Summers like Nathaniel Essex, right? Nobody. Not even Gene. Not Emma. Nobody. Okay, um, so all that's happening in the backdrop of all this. As Uranus is, is you know, wreaking hell on uh, what you might call it on Earth, uh, Magneto and Storm, they, they pull in the wild cards. So this is where we get the X-Men Red connection. Uh, Tony Stark's doing some kind of work on the portals. I don't know, whatever it is Tony does in events like these. And Magneto and Storm come back from Morocco. They want, they're there for revenge. They want to fight Uranus. Uh, they do, okay? They fight Uranus. They turn his weapons against him, and they defeat Uranus. After his weapons are turned against him, Magneto finally, seemingly dies from his injuries. Okay? For real. Um, this is the biggest moment, certainly, of the, the two events. We definitely have talked about the permanence of this, I suppose. The knock on this particular sequence is definitely that because this is the event and the details come in X-Men Red, it's too fast and a little too brutal and the moment is not serviced enough, you know? I think having read X-Men number six, the buildup is so good that then when you get to Judgment Day number four, which I think is a good event issue, but when you get to the issue, the Magneto and Storm moment is not... You want more of that. I definitely wanted more of that, and you want that moment to feel bigger even than it is. Now, what I expect will happen is it's a pacing and scheduling issue, where X-Men Red number seven will come out and it'll be like, okay, here's the moment, right? Okay, here's here's the real moment that we wanted in terms of Magneto and Storm going up against Uranus and getting revenge for Araco. Um, but in the event itself, it was missing. I think, I think that emotion and that drama and that tension was missing, which is kind of a bummer. As far as the actual just like, well, what the plot of it, you know, what actually happened, it makes a lot of sense. And it's pretty effective, okay? So you've got the Celestial judging Earth. You've got Uranus free. They have to stop him because he's going to kill everyone before the Celestial even passes judgment. And remember, as all this is happening, they're still, like, holding out hope and an off chance that, that the Celestial gives more people thumbs up than thumbs down. Now, it's pretty clear, like, from the way this has been trending that we've seen way more thumbs down than thumbs ups. I think, you know, the thumbs ups seem pretty rare. Um, but nonetheless, there's still, like, a chance, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so they're, so they're treating it as if there is, um, and, and Magneto dies in the midst of that, uh, protecting, you know, Earth and, and Araco and his people, and, uh, I think it's for real. I do. I think it's for real. Now, we've been living through this era of superhero comics where the death of death is all the rage, right? It's, it's post-House and Powers. We have Resurrection, um, Immortal Hulk, you know, the Hulks are immortal, We've got uh, Valkyrie dealing with the death of death. We've got the Eternals, of course, with their resurrection through the machine. The death of death is all the rage. Doing a story 
that is a death of a character um, can feel very flat. I think in the case of Magneto, it's pretty intentionally done to not feel that way. Uh, the Krakoa era for Magneto is a failure, you know? X-Men Red has primarily been about his uh, leaving the Quiet Council, this mutination that he's never been more proud of anything to build, of leaving that, of feeling dejected, of feeling like a failure, of finding a new home in Araco, in something where, and, but also like in the midst of that, in finding this new home, swearing off immortality. You know, I think what you have, Storm already came to this revelation in Giant Size Storm. But for Magneto, I think you have this moment of seeing how the schemes with Moira failed, of seeing how the Krakoan experiment is built to spill. I don't, I don't know why I'm referencing one of my favorite 90s indie rock bands, but it works. Um, in seeing all that, Magneto's like, I actually don't want to live forever. Why would you want to live forever? <laughs> I don't think he wants that anymore. And that's a big part of coming to Araco. And he actually, you know, gets his, I don't know about his wish, but he gets to live and he gets to die doing what it is he does best, frankly. Um, so I think that is done with intention. And I think it works, and I think it has an emotional impact. Again, I think X-Men Red number 7 is going to be essential in selling the emotional impact of this. If you just go off Judgment Day number 4, it's going to feel a bit hollow. Um, now, this is superhero comics. We will see Magneto in stories again, okay? <laughs> it's going to happen. The question really just is, how quickly is it going to be reckoned? Is this an immediate next issue? He's not even dead? situation? Is this a, we have a few issues of debate and Professor X overrides his wishes and just brings him back anyway situation? Or is it what I think it is? And we're looking at one to two years of Magneto having died heroically in defense during the Judgment Day Wars. Um, those are our options, I think. Those are our big options. And I actually think, again, because the death of a character in this era of Krakoa is nearly impossible. We did have it set up where it's basically Magneto and Storm are the only characters you can kind of do it with. Um, and Storm is kind of the only one historically who hasn't had a death of event, like of any X-Men, any, any X-Men or mutant character. I think Storm's like the only one who hasn't had a huge death of event. Magneto has, you know, Magneto has died before. <laughs> still, still kicking. Um, so, yeah, I'm seeing, <laughs> seeing a number of comments here. Uh, bring back Joseph. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> Please don't. Now would not be the time. Deciding now of all times to resurrect the clone Joseph um, <laughs> would be ridiculous. That's, uh, that's a pretty funny idea. But, yeah, I, I think we're actually looking at Magneto out of the comics for a minute until some bigger future event. Now, that kind of sucks. <laughs> You know, um, I prefer X-Men comics with Magneto in them. I prefer X-Men Red with Magneto in this book. Uh, Al Young's been writing a really good Magneto, okay? Um, so it's a bummer, but it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be, and you can forget that. You know, for all the folks who said, oh, there's no stakes anymore with X-Men comics, like, this is a way of establishing that. This is a way of establishing that, um, despite Krakoan Resurrection still very much you know, kicking. Okay, I'm gonna take a sip, and then I'm gonna talk about the reason why Magneto might be back <laughs> way sooner than we think. Okay, the one reason I think I might be dead wrong on the Magneto thing, too soon, too soon. The one reason I, I, am, I might be very wrong on the Magneto thing is the sins of Sinister is approaching, and I fully expect the Sins of Sinister to kind of be doing an Age of Apocalypse kind of thing, where it's a bit alt-reality, you know? I think we're going to get some new new designs, some different looks for characters, that sort of thing. If Sinister is watching all of Judgment Day and taking it in, and then is going to reset the timeline and, and you know, kind of, uh, what's the word? Like, manipulate Judgment Day to bring about the future that he wants, that could easily also bring back Magneto. Right? Like, if we get a timeline reset, you could just have it where Magneto's back as a part of that. Now, you could have Sinister say, okay, we'll play out everything exactly the same. Magneto still does that thing. He still dies. And then I change something. You know, you could do it that way. Um, but the Sinister Moira clone reset button makes it very easy to bring back Magneto. Very, very easy. 
Um, I still kind of don't think that's going to happen. Um, not not the reset. I think Sinister's got schemes going on here, right? I think this is ultimately where this event ends. Um, but I, I do think Magneto is going to be down. I think he's going to be down for the count for a minute. It doesn't seem like most people in the comments agree. It seems like most people think Magneto's coming back, and he's coming back fast. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't be bummed out by that. I, I definitely. Like, I, w- I would not be bothered by that. Like, this, this X-Men Red is a more interesting book with a character that complicated. And it wouldn't be that hard, either. There's a million ways you could do it, right? You could even, next issue, just be like, oh, we got him to the Healing Gardens and uh, got you a new heart. Here you go, Max. <laughs> like, he never, he wasn't ever really dead. You know, until we have multiple issues of he's dead and we've stopped trying, it's not locked in, you know? So it's not even locked in yet. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of, I kind of hope they have the conviction to stick with it. I feel like that's what was happening here. Could be wrong. Could be wrong. Um, I'm seeing, isn't Magneto in the solicitations for January? Uh, I don't know. Is, are the January solicits even out? Solicitations are the worst thing. <laughs> Comics. Uh, I'm also seeing Age of X-Men Magneto that is out there. Yes. Yes. This is what we truly need to be talking about is Age of X-Men Magneto and Nate Gray still just floating in that house post Age of X-Men event. You know, I was thinking earlier today, there's a lot of stuff like that. Like, even like very recent X-Men continuity that the writers clearly just decided to bypass and not touch. I kind of wish they played with, not kind of, I really wish they played with continuity a lot more. Like a lot more. (laughs) You know? You have all these things that they just kind of chose to ignore. Um, Which is how comics work. And in many cases, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, don't, don't bog down your own good story because you feel like you have to address a point of continuity. I mean, how many, how many superhero stories, you know, just like a DC's perpetual crisis, right? Like how many superhero stories just get completely lost in trying to fix continuity? That's not quite what I'm saying. Um, I'm thinking more about like, do something fun with that weird Age of X-Men, Nate Gray, uh, untouched, you know, thing going on. Do something fun with, hey, whatever happened to Professor X coming out in a, a Steve Rogers lookalike body, calling himself X, <laughs> right? Like, what was the gap year? Like, even just like a few pages of like, well, what was that like? What happened? Um, those sorts of things. Those sorts of things. I would like to see them play with a heck of a lot more. Okay. We got a super chat here. It says, Claremont loves the teeny Howard stuff. Thoughts. <laughs> Feels accusatory. <laughs> Um, that's great. That's good. Uh, for, for Tini, I bet that feels really, really nice to have a co-creator of Excalibur say, Hey, I really loved your Excalibur stuff. Obviously that's super cool as a creator. Um, I, I, I don't have any thoughts beyond that. <laughs> right. I feel like, I feel like you want me to say something more negative. Um, I don't look to Chris Claremont for comics recs. I would be curious to see him start posting them. Um, if his Instagram turned into like, Hey, here's five comics I love this week. Uh, I would eat it up. (laughs) I would absolutely eat it up, but that is good. Like I, it did seem initially like Claremont had a Affleck Rokoa era attitude, you know, that there was definitely kind of a, it seemed like people, you know, people were talking to him at cons and he was like, ah, house of X stinks. Doesn't make sense. Here's why. And it was the very sort of sad and bitter, response of like someone who so clearly still wants to be doing X-Men. You know, I mean, I think that's the thing with Claremont is like he at no point in the last 30 years of him not being the guy on X-Men has he ever wanted to has he ever not wanted to be the guy again? Like, I think that is pretty consistent. If you look at his interviews and stuff, he says at cons and all that. Um, it, It seems he has turned the corner on that because he wants to be involved again. And he's saying nice things about it again. Um, but, you know, take his, I'm not saying it's definitely a part of that. You know, that's cynical. You take his word of face value and he enjoyed the run. Good. I mean, it's very rever like Teeny Howard's Excalibur and Knights of X, very reverential of the, um, the Claremont and the Alan Davis Excalibur. I mean, absolutely. Right. Like if you're going to make a point of like bringing Kyloon into the series, <laughs> like you love that stuff, you know? Um, so yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. But otherwise... I will not be stepping further into that trap. Thank you. All right. Let's see. Do we have any good questions or thoughts? Because I think otherwise 
Oh, we talk, okay. So we talked about the death of Magneto, the, the final, the ending of um, Judgment Day feels like maybe something worth talking about. <laughs> and uh, the progenitor decided it was time for Rapture. Uh, he did, uh, they did ultimately decide, um, yeah, humanity sucks. And I actually, I thought Gillen's writing here was, again, this is where you can take an outsized ham-fisted metaphor and kind of have it really work, you know, and really bludgeon you over the head with some heavy metal. And in this case, it was him saying, you know, you always, humanity always does this. It's always tomorrow. It's always, you know, the argument, the writing in these events is always, we can be better. Not that we are, but we can be better tomorrow. And the celestial just calls him on that, right? The celestial's like, that's bull. You say this every event. <laughs> you say this, every one of these speeches goes exactly like this. And Gillen's spot on. It's a great bit of sort of metacriticism of comics and of how we kind of treat these things, which is saying like humanity is the idea and we could be so much better. And the celestial's like, but you aren't, but you aren't. And that resonates <laughs> actually in a lot of ways when you look at some of the worst elements of the world as it is, right? And, and the celestial says, all right, forget it, you're done. And rapture begins of a sort. Uh, all we see at the end of this issue is a bunch of humans standing around Captain America seemed to die. Cap held up his shield over his head, so he didn't die. But the woman next to him did. So I think maybe he's just an umbrella hog and, like, probably should have shared more of his shield. But otherwise, I don't know. There's potentially something to that. Uh, we don't really know yet exactly how Rapture is going to take place. I mean, the one thing that has not happened yet, which feels like kind of a lock, is... Uh, somebody's got to fight the Celestial. <laughs> Nobody, for, for all their superheroing, um, they really haven't tried, like, an all-out, like, we're going to kick your butt kind of thing, you know, which is almost literally, like, in King and Black, you know, and that's the reference point for Tony Stark being involved, like, he makes a Celestial armor, and he fights a Celestial. Um, I know they don't have those materials anymore, but, like, we haven't really seen, like, a knockdown dragout fight, you know, to take on, take on the Celestial. So I feel like that's in play. Um, I think the other thing is, like, we have not seen the OG Celestials return yet. Anytime, anytime anything with Celestials happens on Earth, the original Celestials all come flying down, and they're all like, hey, we heard you were, you were talking to one of us. Um, you know, what's up? And then, like, two times out of two, Cyclops walks up to him, and he's like, what's up, guys? I'm Cyclops. I'm very cool. And they leave. <laughs> that, that more or less is what happens. Uh, in this case, we've not seen the original Celestials return. So, I think they'll be back. I do think they'll be back as well. Um, what role will they play? I don't know. Maybe they'll maybe they'll be the ones to stop the rapture. I mean, I find it fairly unlikely. I will go out on a limb here, and I will say it's fairly unlikely that the progenitor's rapture actually wipes out all of humanity. Okay? So I think we can, we can take that one off the board. Um, I don't think it'll be an Age of Ultron situation where the progenitor does wipe out humanity and then a small group of heroes go back in time to kill Ant-Man. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I don't think there'll be timey-wimey shenanigans. Uh, so what are our other options? If the progenitor is actually declaring rapture and wiping everyone out, then I think this is where Sinister says, okay, that's enough data accumulated. Reset the timeline. And there's a flip in Judgment Day. Another possibility is this is the Judgment Day where Sinister has already accumulated that information. Like, like I started thinking today, I'm not ruling out that Sinister, he's involved, and you know he put in some sort of, you know, kill switch or some sort of control, you know, into the Celestial, despite the Eternals and Tony's attempts, you know, to keep him uninvolved. Um, you know he's got a scheme. Okay, what if he already gathered data through experiencing various judgment days and he was like, all right, I'll let the celestial uh, rapturize, you know, X percent of people and then I'll step in the hero and thus begins the sins of sinister or, or the, the, the build to the sins of sinister. You know what I mean? I, if sinister doesn't play a role in stopping the progenitor, I'll be really flipping surprised. Um, I don't know it'll definitely be a timeline reset, I'm kind of increasingly inclined to think he already went through this, has the data, and what we're going to see now will be a result of him having lived through past judgment days, you know? 
Uh, I'm seeing a comment here. Didn't Sinister say in Immortal 1 or 2 that he hopes he makes it to Judgment Day this time? Interesting. I have not reread them in a minute, but that would make sense. That would make sense. Um, what else? What else? What else? If the ending of Judgment Day number 4 actually happened, the universe was just restarted. If Sinister dies, it gets restarted. Yeah, possible, right? If, I, I guess that's the thing. Is like We don't know what the progenitor's move is. Is it just instant annihilation of everyone? Because Cap seems to survive that, that last panel. So I think maybe it's not quite that instantaneous. Think the mutants will finally share the resurrection tech after this or because of this? Hmm. I do not. I mean, I'm kind of into the idea of, like, a really winnowed society and mutant resurrection being the only path back for, like, a post-apocalyptic Earth. But there's no way. Marvel Comics commits to that. So I don't think they're going to share that, actually. Um, one of the themes of the event is definitely, like, mutant PR and how they're perceived by humanity and how hated and feared Krakoa is at this point in time. Obviously, Orcus is doing a lot on the uh, on the human PR side of things. I I think mutant PR goes up just by virtue of, I think the Eternals are going to get outed. As the true big bads here, I think maybe Sinister is going to present as like a big hero of the world. Um, and and maybe then it's like a mutant uh, saved us kind of thing where, where mutants get a little PR boost. Uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of I'm kind of bored with everyone hating on Krakoa. It just feels like the most obvious build, essentially, um, the most familiar. And I think going the opposite direction could be the more interesting play. Okay. What other questions do we got? If Apocalypse doesn't return between this event and Sins of Sinister, we riot. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, there's still time for an Apocalypse return. You know, that is one thing I do actually want to celebrate here and, and say that I really like is Judgment Day is not holding back. Like, that is what is making this event very enjoyable to me. I mean, I still think at no point has a new issue come out and, and I thought like, oh, okay, no, it's, it's average. I keep thinking it's good and I keep thinking it's the best Marvel Comics event since 2015 Secret Wars which happens to be my favorite comics event of all time. I mean, if I take that out of the equation, you know, it's the best event since... Now we're really running it back. Whew. I would say... I mean, I'm a, I'm a sucker for Dark Reign and Siege. I gotta say, I really like <laughs> the Bendisir of New Avengers um, and those events. So, like, I'm gonna say, if we take Secret Wars out of the equation, at this point in time, Judgment Day is the best Marvel Comics event since 2010. Possible I'm forgetting something, but probably not. Probably not. Okay, it's good stuff. Oh, all right. Are we counting House and Powers? We've done this before. Are we doing it again? I keep not counting it. Uh, technically, technically, through the shelf dust poll I was a part of determining the best comic events of all time, they did include House and Powers as a comic book event. So if we count that, then it throws a huge wrench into all these wild proclamations I'm making. <laughs> <laughs> if we count House and Powers, no, uh, it doesn't work. It's the best thing since House and Powers. If we don't, run it back. Run it back. Uh, Hickman's Infinity. Not as good as you think. Hickman's Infinity is not as good as you think. It feels better because it's a part of Hickman's Avengers run, which I love, absolutely love. And as a part of that run, it's fantastic and essential. As purely as a comic book event, it's good. I like it. It does deserve to be mentioned in the conversation here for which one maybe you like more. Um, but definitely it's not the knockout that you might expect. You know, it's no secret wars. Not even close. <clears throat> All right. What other thoughts do we got? Second coming. Oh, yeah, I guess I wasn't really counting X-Men events. Like just X-Men standalone events. I was thinking Marvel Universe. Um... I definitely like Judgment Day more than Second Coming. I will say that with no hesitation. And Second Coming's 2010 as well. So, still works. Definitely better than Battle of the Atom. <laughs> um, okay, get in your questions. I'm going to take one more drink. I'll answer what I can. Okay, final questions. None of this has Russell Dodderman on art, though. That's a fair critique of anything that is not War of the Realms. Actually, I think that's fair. Um, although, I do think I like Judgment Day more than War of the Realms. Question from Xavier. Do you think the real Celestials will get there soon? I, it, it, listen, it's, we're either going to see the Celestials in Apocalypse next issue, or we're not going to see them at all. 
Those definitely don't get dropped in issue six. Now, I know there's an Omega issue, which tends to be epilogue-y. Um, I guess we could see a Celestial's epilogue and kind of tie off like they were on their way or they, you know, <laughs> they saw what happened or whatever. But um, I think most likely, like, if anything big is going to happen, if something big is going to happen in issue five, I guess that's what I was getting at, is, like, Judgment Day keeps the pace going. It keeps dropping bombs. Again, I love this. I love this when creators say, I have lots of ideas. I am good at ideas. I do not need to cling to my one idea because I have so many of them. I will be fine. And they keep them rolling. And Gillen is doing that here. An idea machine in Judgment Day. The pace, the reveals, everything is excellent as far as the big, broad plot beats go. Issue 5 is going to have something massive happen. Okay, something major is going to happen. A return of Apocalypse, which feels increasingly unlikely, but like, like it still makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Um, but this late in the game, I don't know. I don't know if they'll actually do it. You know, It feels more likely to me we'd see the OG Celestials return, I think. Uh, but I, I do not think, I don't think we're going to see Thanos, which I had hoped we would. Um, Apocalypse would be nice. But again, it's kind of like there's not been groundwork laid in this event specifically to set that up, right? There's more groundwork laid in Judgment Day specifically to set up Thanos because you got all the Uranus and Eternals connections because you got Eros around. Um, and there's more obviously to set up the original Celestials returning than there is really anything to do with Apocalypse, I think at this point. All right, what other questions we got? As the only person on the planet who loved Empire, I'm offended. I apologize, lone Empire fan <laughs> for that offense. Uh, where is horticulture? There's a question here. Uh, horticulture has been present in the pages of X-Men Unlimited, actually. So there's your answer. Where are the children of the vault? Well, they are going to return in the next issue of X-Men. What about the Phalanx? We saw the Phalanx in X-Lives and X-Deaths, and I kind of wish we hadn't. What about the Machine Ascendancy? TBD. What about Mutant Magic and Otherworld? You should read Knights of X. This crossover just muddies the waters, is the final thought there on that comment. Um... I, I, I don't know. I feel like a lot of my questions had answers. A lot of your questions had answers there, actually. How many Hellfire Galas do you think we still got to have? Braden asks. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is it a problem that we keep that we keep having Hellfire Galas? I, I generally am a fan. Um, oh, that's an interesting question. Because basically that question is, how long can they milk it? <laughs> right? How long can they milk the Krakoa era? I mean, five years seemed like kind of the, the ambitious outset. So I would say 2023, I mean, this all started in what, fall 2019? So let's give it until 2025. I'll give it until 2025. I uh, don't think it goes longer than that, for sure. Judgment Day number five does come out next week. That is true. I'm seeing someone reference that, uh, which is very exciting, frankly, that it comes out again basically immediately. Oh, okay, here's an important question from Marcos. Is the machine, a.k.a. the Earth, Karen Gillen's machine, uh, is that getting a thumbs up or a thumbs down? We have not seen the machine actually judged by the Celestial. The Celestial said they would judge the machine. Um, I think the machine is going to get a thumbs down. I think it's going to be destroyed, and I think that is going to be the end of Eternal Eternals. And it's going to set them on the path to become something new, to break free from their Asimovian Ties to the Celestials. That's what I think. Nimrod just killed a phalanx, I believe. What? <laughs> Where? Where did that happen? Please tell me. I would love to know. Uh, any thoughts on the progenitor feeling bad about the wife of the man who died for Mimitar's resurrection? The wife of the man who died. <clears throat> the progenitor is kind of mysterious and definitely more interesting even than has been led on to so far. I'm not sure that's ever really going to get addressed. Um, you know, that is something that doesn't really come up here. But, like, Gillen's been doing some interesting stuff with the Hex and their ties to humanity. And, like, that one agent of the Hex that was, you know, texting with a woman, <laughs> like, on a dating app. And is all that just fodder for more eternal stuff down the road? Or is it event relevant? I kind of feel like it's fodder for later. Are you more excited for a Captain Britain Betsy series or a Scarlet Witch series? Scarlet Witch series was announced today. Steve Orlando and Sarah Pichelle are going to be on that. Uh, definitely Scarlet Witch. For sure, Scarlet Witch. Do you remember Onslaught? I do. Do you <laughs> remember Onslaught? Let's see. What else? 
Seeing Tektronix say it's hard not to feel a little bait and switched. Uh, it is a that is the life of an X Men fan right now. I think you will find sympathy amongst many X Men fans. But again, Gillen and Ewing are really good at this. Give him a shot. Give him a shot. Why did Celestial try to say it wouldn't judge a kid, but then destroys the world? Uh, I'm gonna go because it's a baby god, <laughs> and it doesn't always make sense. Uh, that's my main pick there. Uh, Nimrod killed Warlock's dad in Legion of X. What? I gotta, I gotta read Legion of X. I'm, I'm very bothered by the fact that I clearly need to reread Legion of X. Mother Righteous came up. What is it? Mother Superior. Righteous Superior came up in uh, at the end of Mortal X-Men. Apparently, Nimrod's out here killing Warlock's dad. Um, the Phalanx King took over the Phalanx off-panel. What? <laughs> All right, I definitely got to read Legion of X. Damn it. I hate that I have to do that. Okay, final question. Let's see what do we got. Where is Brew and the Brood to help the X-Men? Or will that plot element be used for Nimrod, Moira, Machine War? Um, I'm done anticipating <laughs> when lingering threads might pay off from the Hickman X-Men. Like, there's no telling. There's no telling. Uh, it won't be here. I'm confident of that. But we'll see Brew and the Brood again. I don't doubt. So I'm asking, did you read Midnight Suns? I did. I'm tentatively excited for this game, uh, just to see what it's going to be. Um, I didn't find it to be an essential or mandatory read or anything, even as X-Men crossover stuff goes. The Magic and Wolverine are both part of this Midnight Suns. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's not real Krakoa specific, so I didn't even put it on the reading order. But yeah, I read it. Um, I don't know. It didn't do a lot for me. I'll, uh, Dr. Doom's involved, and that always has my attention, so I'll see. Ooh, interesting theory here from Mike. I think we're going to find out that the narrator voice of the Earth and the progenitor are both also humans that died. That would be interesting. Oh, so like we tie we tie the humans who've been killed as the part of resurrection to the voices. I mean, that would that would go a long way to explaining why they sound so human and why they sound so sarcastic beyond just, you know, Gillen wanting to have fun. Um, I'm into that theory. That could be a lot of fun. Can we get a repercussions of Executioner's song, Kraken Krakoa? No. Uh, the only re- I actually like Executioner's song a lot. The only reason is I, I missed that episode of My Marvel this year, uh, the Executioner song, because I think I was on paternity leave at the time. Uh, but we do have a good My Marvel this year episode of Executioner's song coverage. I think we have David Brothers on as a guest, who's a, a fantastic comics critic and editor. Um, that one's probably worth listening to. Check it out. All right, I'll do one more question. Are you reading Predator or New Alien number one? No, but I did watch Predator for the first time. <laughs> within the last month, okay? I did. And uh, I liked Prey more. <laughs> I'm sure some of you are, are rolling in graves that you have just dug for yourselves. Um, no, I had fun. I had fun with both of those. Uh, but I had never seen a Predator, and I'm glad that I did. Uh, I had no idea where those giant biceps holding hands were from. I've seen that image so many times. I had no idea, and now I know. <laughs> it's from Predator. Uh, but Prey was really good. I enjoyed the heck out of Prey. That was a great movie. Um, is Predator 2 worth watching? This is my question to you all. Is Predator 2 worth my time? Because I've been thinking... You know what Predator is, actually? Um, and Prey is this as well. Perfect workout movie. Okay? The perfect workout movie. Like, if you if you need something to distract you for 40 minutes while you're pumping iron, you know? Or in my case, like, you know, wishing <laughs> you could pump as much iron as you used to. Um, Predator is perfect for that. Absolutely. Uh, but somebody's got to tell me, is Predator 2 worth checking out? Is it, is it even a good workout movie? I need that as well. Let me take a drink. I'm going to wait for the crowd. <sighs> Hit or miss, depending on your tastes. Read Daniel Warren Johnson's Do a Powerbomb. I am reading that, and it's awesome. Unexpected, or expectedly. Do a Powerbomb is very, very good. I recommend it. I need to, I need to catch up. I only read the first couple. Um, it's probably only a few more to read. Predator 2 is not good seeing not really a fan of predator 2 uh-oh uh-oh all right fine in that case i am just going to ooh, what am i gonna do during a workout um i guess i'll just catch up on she hulk i guess that's fine let's see predator one is great so is two oh, okay if you aren't a hardcore predator fan i am not let's skip predator 2 all right i'm seeing mostly negative uh predator 2 reviews <laughs> a handful of positive though that's good. All right, so we got Rex here for Predator 1, Prey, 
do a powerbomb and not Predator 2. That is where we're going to leave it. Thanks, everybody, for joining today. It's been a blast. As always, I really appreciate you coming and talking comics with me. Uh, and we will be here next week or whenever there's good comics again. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And enjoy the comics.